at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy, uh, hope you guys found something to do uh, that was fun on Saturday night week. <laughs> Man, I... Like, I was going to do this Facebook Live recap shit, and all of a sudden, like, I didn't do any of that. I, uh, I just kind of hung around in the comments for, like, 20 minutes. I saw that everybody was angry, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go turn on some USC Stanford pregame. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get some dinner, and I'm. I'm just gonna walk the f away from this. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't the most fun game, and I. I like honestly rarely get like, I. You know, I get upset by losses, but I. I shake them off pretty quickly at this point of my Syracuse fandom. That was one that really stuck with me for a while. Yeah, I was, that's the, like, my wife was like, you're not yelling. I'm like, no, to be honest, I was just, like, upset. Like, I'm more disappointed. Yeah, like, that's what it was. Like, I was disappointed and, like, upset. Like, I was kind of, like, despondent. It's <laughs> just like, 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 God damn it. Like, like of, of course this happened. And, like, I didn't, I like, I told myself it was going to happen around, like, the end of the third quarter. So then, like, once... And that, that's kind of my coping mechanism as a fan, as, as you are also a fan of teams that let you down repeatedly. Um, I, I feel that I... By telling myself beforehand that, that we're going to lose when it happens, I don't have that, like, explosive outburst of, God damn it, this happened. But if we win, then I get to have, like, an emotional resurgence that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah, and it did feel like, for a while there, we would escape, uh, I thought. It just seemed like... A game where we could just put together a drive finally and, and figure it out and get there, and we just at the lot like back into the fourth quarter, we just totally fell apart, and it became very obvious that uh, that team, especially Schaefer, had our number. Uh, and it's unfortunate because I thought there was, if you like peel away like the awfulness of losing to a conference USA team at home and what a setback it felt like as just a general thing. Like I thought there were things to like about the game, especially on the defensive side, but um, it just was so brutal to watch offensively and and just the the uh impending like creeping dread of oh this is absolutely going to be a loss was was not fun to deal with again because like most of our losses like have been pretty apparent from the start in the last couple years or like we expected them going in and even if we kept it close at least you know we were keeping it close and not the other way around this was uh this was one that we you know didn't really feel like uh ones that we've had in the recent years yeah i i think that's really what it is like i the last game i can remember like this um, maybe the, maybe the Minnesota game in, like, 09, like, Marone's first game, or maybe it was just the Northwestern game in 2012, like, those two games would be, like, the only ones, like, even recent vintage that, like, I can, like, compare to it. Yeah, and even those, like, Northwestern, obviously, I think we ended up being a better team that year, but at least, uh, at least they were, like, a comparable program, and Minnesota, Obviously, we handed that game away, but, like, same thing, and also it was, you know, our coach's first game, so you right. can kind of excuse, you know, a fumbled a snap over someone's head in the first play. I mean, you don't excuse it, but 
you get where, where, it's, where it's happening. While this is like, oh, we're kind of approaching that magical year and a half mark where everything's supposed to, obviously we don't expect that, you know, we're not turning to national champions right at that, you know, since we tend to this season, but we're, we're approaching that mark where, where everything's supposed to click. And this was probably the most, probably the worst offensive performance of the Dino, Dino Babers uh, era um, when, with regard to like opponent and all, you know, contacts taken into account. Yeah, and I think, you know, th- this is another case of, we've discussed this before, like, of how, you know, when something happens, not if something happens, is really what dictates the reaction to it. Like, if Doug Marone had gone, you know, four and eight, five and seven, and then two straight eight and five seasons, like, the people that are still kind of anti Marone would be a little more okay with that linear progression. If Schaefer had, had basically flipped the script on how he went and gone like three and nine, four and eight, seven and six, he'd still be here. Like Babers pulling off Virginia Tech win in year one and then losing to Middle Tennessee in year two, if those results are flipped, you're fine with them. But because of when the Middle Tennessee game happened, when a lot of people have convinced themselves into things that this program was never really capable of this year, that that's how you get this kind of you know, explosion of real emotional reactions and a lot of overreactions. I mean, there's plenty of fans who are completely reasonable and, and understanding, but to, to see the amount of folks, like, checking out of this season already at 101 and just completely done. I mean, I, I said it in that piece on Sunday where, it, like, if, if you're already out on this season, like, you, never, you were never in. And that doesn't mean you can't um, question Dino or question the offense because, like I said, I watched the game twice this week and it was... It was unpleasant the second time, but I did glean some positives from it just the same. But, like, yeah, if if you're done with, with, with this regime, if you're done with this with this team this year, then, then you, you never gave a shit to begin with. Yeah, and, and what I was trying to say after the game was, while this was awful, like, coaches are allowed really bad losses. Like, you can't just bury someone on their first bad loss. Like, if, if we're going to go... I'm going to look up Schaefer's first year. Um, I, I can like, think of a game. <laughs> yeah. The Georgia Tech game was a lot worse than this. And I don't even remember if he had a bad loss before that. But, like, we weren't saying fire Scott Schaefer after the Georgia Tech game. Like, we weren't even close. It took, like, a number of those type of losses. This was the first one um, for Dino. And it was honestly, like, I think the fear is that this game kind of exposed the offense um, or show, you know, put you a, blu- a blueprint for what – um, defense can do to disrupt it by sending like Schaefer S blitzes, but at the same time, like college football teams, while they might try to glean something from what Middle Tennessee did, like if that's not part of their DNA, it's they're probably not going to go all out with it. So, and you know, while I do think Schaefer's a very good defensive coordinator, and I appreciate you know what he did here in that role, um, it's not you know we we didn't have uh, we had, there were far better defensive coordinators last year who. Didn't, Bud Foster comes to mind, who we beat, um, who didn't figure out the same thing and, and you know, didn't drop the, the, the blueprint to beating Dino's offense. So, like, this might be a, a, you know, the type of game that ends up derailing us for a bit, but it also should just be a blip. So I, I'm, I'm trying to stay, like, sane about it. It was an awful loss, and I was right there with, like, everyone in terms of freaking out about it. Um, but we have to move on. Like, you can't just bury a coach, any coach, after one bad loss. We didn't do it with Schaefer. We didn't do it with Marone. Uh, I wasn't around at the beginning of G-Rob, but, like, we probably had seven in the first year that we could have done it for, and we didn't, and that was fair. Um, so let's hopefully, like, regain our composure as a fan base and move forward. 
Yeah, I mean, if Scott Schaefer's allowed to, like, skate after after barely beating Villanova, I think that, that Dino Babers is allowed to, to move on, you know, issue-free and, and, and with, with, with minimal, you know, serious questioning right now. Um, when he was really a couple of drop passes or an actually called interception away from winning this game anyway. And, and, and you know, obviously I'm not trying to, like, sugarcoat it, but, like, Middle Tennessee is a pretty good team. Like, they're not great. It's not uh, – it wasn't Tennessee or, you know, obviously it wasn't Vanderbilt even. But, like, Middle Tennessee is a quality Conference USA opponent. And heading into the year, like, I had a bad feeling about the team, and a lot of those bad feelings were quelled when uh, Vandy kind of, you know, took them behind the shed. But um, – it's still a pretty strong conference USA program that wins like eight or nine games a lot of the time. So it, we, we didn't lose to, to Akron again. Like we, we, we lost to an opponent that probably wasn't um, as overmatched as we like to think. And that obviously played with, a, a, I'd say a magnitude greater uh, level of aggression than you'd probably get from a normal team. Uh, and I think we'll probably get into that. Um, it, there were a lot of factors that made this game uh, not quite as easy as, you know, the average, like, oh, you're bringing, um, you know, whatever power, uh, group of five team to the Dome, like even Nets Central Mission into the Dome. Uh, this this game had a lot of uh, extra baggage to it, and clearly that did play some factor, even if it's not a, a legitimate excuse to say, you know, this is why Syracuse lost. Yeah, I mean... That's what that's what stunned me. I think afterward was was how quickly context and the circumstances were thrown out the window. I mean, you know, we we said before the game that like Scott Schaefer adds another wrinkle that you really can't account for. It's a variable that you can't put on paper, and obviously that that variable was cashed in and, and then some um, in this game. I, I think you you can't discount how good MTSU is as a program, as you mentioned. I, I think. You can't discount the aggression that defense played with. I mentioned in the in the Dungey piece today, like that they came after him with with, with a viciousness that, like you know, is, is is part of the game of football, but you just don't see it a ton um, consistently. And like they really came after. Him. I mean, I was a little annoyed by how much he was hit after the whistle and after the play was over. Um, and I think that's something that hopefully uh, referees can address for Dungey going forward because I don't I don't think it's fair to him if he's going to try to play safe that he's still getting nailed. But um, that, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but, yeah, in general, like, there's a lot of folks who, who seem like they completely forgot the lessons of the Greg Robinson era and, and just how far those depths were. Um, you know, like, again, like you said, Babers is allowed to, to have a bad loss. And, and to me, if this is the worst loss he suffers, and, and again, a loss that he almost didn't suffer at all, um, I'm I'm pretty okay with it, and I'm I, I, echoing you. Like I don't want to sugarcoat this. This was a this was a bad game. The offensive game plan was terrible, um, and really didn't have a counterpunch, um, you know, to Scott Schaefer in, in the chess match that, that Babers had previewed before the game. But um, you learn from it, and hopefully we're able to go back to the drawing board on, on a couple things and, and and address some of the glaring issues that we're going to get into uh, during this episode. Yep, and luckily we, we don't jump right into LSU. We do have Central Michigan, which, while I think actually is exactly one spot higher in Bill Donnelly's S&P from MTSU, that obviously doesn't mean like a whole lot yet. We're only two weeks in. Um, I think Central Michigan is probably a lesser team. They were picked to finish fifth in the MAC West, I believe they were in, or are in. Um, 
if we if we get a battle from from the Chippewas, then I I think it's legitimate cause for concern. If we go drop forty five in the Chippewas and win by three touchdowns, and uh, you know, it seems like we figure stuff out, I'll feel you know I don't think we're gonna beat LSU, but I, I'll feel more like this was maybe a, a blip, um, and it you know not a, a foreboding uh, sign of things to come. Oh, I still think LSU and Clemson in particular are gonna thrash us. I mean, based. Oh, on... I totally believe that. <laughs> I just I, the offensive line is not getting fixed. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, this offensive line is not getting fixed. Um, we were we were panicked a little bit when Aaron Roberts went out during the, the the summer, and ends up that his absence actually created a bigger vacuum than we even realized. Um, I know, you know, Steve Haller was was going through some of the video. I went through some of the tape last night while I was rewatching the game, and like, surveys just blown up all the time. Adams to a point too, like this this line can't really do much against a blitz and like even less than last year maybe and to me that's horrifying given how much fire Dungy was under for much of the year yeah and and what was also disconcerting is um and and i think it's it's natural it's part of like the reason you send blitzes like that but but Dungy's rhythm just got thrown off so totally like this should be an offense that can counter like a seven-man rush pretty well because you have so many quick hitter options um or phillips like this should have been a game where Irv phillips was targeted 15 times and was just picking up 12-yard chunks because Schaefer was sending linebackers all over the place. And instead, Dungy locked in on Ishmael pretty much like, I think he had more than half our targets. Um, he just locked in on one guy. He got nervous. He, his timing was thrown off. He was totally rattled. And I get that. Like, there were even times where the pocket was, was held up and there was, you know, integrity there. And Dungy got happy feet. And it's because, you know, when, when you're getting such an onslaught the whole game, even... Even the plays that are clean, unless you're, you know, Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady who have perfect uh, footwork in the pocket, like unless you're those guys, you're you're going to start uh, getting jittery. You're going to break contain early. You're going to put yourself in bad positions, and that very clearly happened with Dungeon in this game. So, like even the plays where uh, the offensive line held up, like the damage had already been done, which is which is an issue, and hopefully one that we can kind of avoid. But I do expect to see an up uh, an uptick in blitzing, or you know, in the Clemson and LSU case, like they probably don't even need to. Like they're going to overwhelm us with their with their four man rush. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's worth um, bringing up. Unfortunately, you know, the thing that you and I talked about a couple times during the summer and during the preview episode, uh, and that is like. Dan, do you glean anything from the fact that the defense seemed to hold the offense in check? during the spring game now and the two scrimmages and then definitely outplay them in the second game here. Um, I think the defense is better. <laughs> like I, it, it stinks to like, this is the game that we discover this, but MTSU has like a really great wide receiver, a very solid quarterback. I know their running game is hurt. Um, so that's not, you know, fully functional. Uh, and, and it didn't really show in this game, but I think the defense is playing a, a good amount better than it did last year. And obviously I didn't want to like declare that after the, uh, CCSU game, but, um, holding MTSU and I know it was 30 points, but a lot of that, you, you know, when Syracuse offense isn't playing well, things are going ugly because they're, you know, going to get rid of, they're going to lose the ball very quickly. Um, but I thought for the most part, like this is one of the more encouraging defensive performances we've had the last two years. So, uh, I do think that unit's improved. I think there are issues with, uh, Defending the deep throw is still uh, still a problem. Um, I think the advanced stats bear that out. But the front the front seven is defending the run really well, um, and overall I think it's it's just a, a solid uptick. Um, and if the offense can get it going and the offensive line can develop during the season and, and mature and 
and at least be like below average, I think we might have something. The problem is, it's I don't know that offensive lines come around at mid year like that. I think that's like often off season progression is usually what you get with that unit. Yeah, I, I don't really think that that you see offensive line progression and offensive line maturity. Like, I mean, granted, like Cervais is going to get better just because he is a freshman and he's somebody who is going to round into form by the end of the season. That's still not going to be a huge uptick. I think next year you'll see the benefits of this year for him. Um, and probably the same for Sam Heckel, who, uh, who was in his first like real meaningful action. But um, everybody else, I mean, everybody else has been there. Like Adams has been there for a couple of years. Conway has too. McGloster's redshirt senior. Like these are all guys that should really have have the position locked down, and, and, and I'm just not seeing it. And, and, you know, again, this is not going to read too much into, like, practice and things like that, but the fact that they were getting kind of blown up during the offseason by, you know, what, what looks like a resurgent front seven probably should have given us at least a couple hints that things were going to be rougher around the edges than we thought. But, that, 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 again, that isn't to hit the panic button, though. Like, this is still – this team's going to have to figure out – a couple things, and, and I think that's how what we can kind of address for the rest of this half of the podcast before we get into the CMU game for the second half. Like the the three major issues um, to me, um, the secondary, which I think can get better um, between personnel moves, Cordy's um, eventual return. Um, I, I think that the run game. Uh, I don't think Strickland and Neal can, can run the ball up the middle anymore. I don't think that's something that ever really worked, and it's worked even less this year. Um, and then we, we need an option over the top, um, and whether that's Steve Ishmael or whether that's Devin Butler or Jamal Custis if he's healthy, like we need an option to, to, to be able to throw to who's going to be able to catch the ball. I think you, know, you, you look at Dungy's performance um, against Middle Tennessee, and while a lot of people panned it, and a lot of people had a lot of negative things to say about it, and there were some negative things about it, like there were two or three drop balls, um, you know, past 20, 25 yards. Like if, if those connect, a we win the game, and b you know Dungy has a much more impressive stat line. No, it's not going to be you know like an all-world 350-yard, 400-yard performance, but you know Dungy put the ball where it needed to be more often than not. There were eight drops from my, my count. Like that's to me, that's unacceptable, and, and, and that's the type of thing where, like, you hope that it's just a one-week blip and it, it's a one-week issue because if, if it isn't, then, then the, the, the crux of the entire offense, I think, is, is, is screwed. Yeah, I mean, for, all, for everything else, like the offensive line play, the uh, giant hits on Dungy, uh, the running game again, like, I, I, think, I think if the run game shows up in a game, I think we bring it, we uh, applaud it as an unexpected surprise at this point. I, I don't even know how much more we can say about it. It's the same every week. Um, well, the, the, drops, tank, honestly, the tank was different this week. The tank was different. And I appreciate that. I appreciate they're trying stuff. Like, it does seem like we we're, we're breaking out new wrinkles and eventually maybe something will stick as, you know, something. As so a, I don't think the power eye works with this scheme. It's definitely not in fitting with, like, what we're doing as a whole. But I, I appreciate they're trying to, like, duct tape something together. Right. In terms of... You know, just keeping the defense honest. Um, obviously, that's harder to do when you're after having to switch formation and switch, switch personnel. Um, but overall, like, I, I think, uh, honestly, the drops like might have, if, if not for eight drops, including some huge ones, like, we might have pulled this game out. 
even if we just fix that. And that's not a thing we've really had. Obviously, like, Irv has had drop problems in the past, and, like, a couple of guys have had, like, games where they've dropped passes, but I don't remember us having... Like a widespread. Uh, a, a widespread <laughs> drop issue outside of maybe the Wake Forest game last year, which I discount as a football game uh, because of the because of the uh, the rain. It was so ridiculous. Um, so I, I I'm don't know that that's going to be, like, a, a long-term worry um, just because it was, it you know, it could have been just a one-off thing, but... That's another example. Like, that was one of the most frustrating things to me because I knew the offensive line was bad. I knew the running game was bad. Um, I knew that we could get beat deep over the top, and we, we held that off until the end when they hit that one touchdown. Honestly, like, I thought the defensive bats, while they're not great, I think they've, they've been improved uh, somewhat. Um, but the drops, just like, that's not part of our – that's not one of our issues. And, oh, my God, it was it was so pervasive in this game. Oh, yeah, it played a major role. And then that was kind of what I was getting to earlier, too. Like – as much as I was annoyed watching the game a second time, as much as I didn't want to watch the game a second time, especially on Watch ESPN, a god-awful service that was terrible on game day this week and then was even worse trying to rewatch anything because it crashed probably every 10 minutes. Um, yeah, I, I what I noticed was we really weren't that far away from winning this game. And, like, that's not... I know some people might not necessarily think it makes any sense for me to be looking on the bright side... Uh, of, of a loss in particular, but, and I'm not just being a Dino apologist either. I, I called out the issues, you know, in the article on Twitter after the game, like all that, and end here on this, this episode. But, like, if this is Dino's worst day and we were still a couple, like, a couple drop passes from winning this game or, you know, a, a couple grime, you know, pretty dirty hits on Dungey away from winning this game, like, that's why I said after two, like, the, the, the missed penalties on MTSU were aggravating and, and, and definitely played a major role. But to me, like, it was still Syracuse's, you know, unforced errors. It was the drops. Um, it was, you know, some questionable time management at the end to a lesser extent. It was the fumble by Sean Riley, who has no business returning punts. You know, I, I, I wish we'd won the game, and I wish I could revisit that point now, but... You know, you and I talked about last week how Riley really doesn't have any business returning punts, and then that kind of, you know, bore itself out in-game. Um, I saw he's still number one on the depth chart, but I would not be surprised if uh, if Nikeem Johnson is, uh, is is manning that role, or at least somebody else on the team is manning that role this coming week. Yeah, uh, we, we definitely miss Brizzly, because we were so bad at punt returner for so long, and then we got like three awesome years, and now we're right back where we were, where it's all fair catches and the occasional ill-advised return for no yardage and wristing uh, muffs and fumbles. Um, but he's a great kick returner. He's, he's a, a fantastic. Good, yeah, he's, he's a better a kick returner than Briz was. Yeah, he's like a twenty-nine-yard return guy. That's great. Like I'm totally with him doing that. Like it's not like we have to, you know. And some guys are just better. They're two very like they seem similar. They're two very different situations. Like you're you're in different spots. Um, you have different alignments in front of you. Like, they're different still sets. So keep him a kick returner. Have him do that every time. Let's find someone else who can, you know, occasionally get us 10 yards in the punt game. Um, but, yeah, uh, just overall, like, it's frustrating because if Syracuse had played, like, its C-plus game, they would have won. And it just it, – it's hard to not see that, in especially this early in the year. If this had happened, like, week eight, you could uh, – after, like, seven weeks of, like – your average performance, then you, you know, maybe get over a little easier, but week two, it, it, I think it definitely inflates things too. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I don't know if you saw Bill C's numbers, 
about like the percentile that we performed on this one. 23rd percentile is not, um, is not a performance that really going to get you a lot of wins. Um, it also feels high too. Like, yeah, like I, I definitely. But, it but, feels but, like we performed under our twenty third percentile. But I feel like that kind of like speaks to what I was saying earlier too. Like we really weren't, as much as the loss sucked, we weren't really that far away from winning the game. And 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 no, like you know, almost doesn't really matter. But to me, for for everyone hitting the panic button and relighting things on fire right now, like that almost should at least be some sort of like temporary saving grace that. Like, it's not like we got blown out like, like we did against Akron years back or against Miami, Ohio, like we did years back, like, or the time that we struggled with Buffalo. Like, like the, people making comparisons to Greg Robinson, like, could not be further off. Um, I was there for Greg Robinson. I, I remember those feelings in those games, and you knew within the first 10 minutes you weren't winning, and, and that was kind of the end. Like, this was not that sort of game. Again, we could have won. We technically came up a yard short of being able to still extend that drive. Like, until Dino Babers gives me a reason to absolutely doubt what he's in the process of building, like, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to cast more shade than, hey, this, this, and this could probably get better. Let's see what we do next week and if we learn from it. Because, to be honest, if one of the biggest issues under Schaefer was that you saw an issue either in the middle of a game or in the middle of a season, and it never was corrected. It just sat there. I mean, case in point, replacing George McDonald halfway through the second season with Tim Lester, and then Lester felt like it wasn't worth installing a new offense for the last six games of the year, despite the fact that over the course of those six games, if we had won enough of them, we could have made a bowl game. Like, crap like that was, was one of the biggest issues of the Schaefer era, if, if we start to see, you know, Babers' team not adjust and not find what, different ways to do things. I mean, last year showed that this team could change from week to week. Um, the fact that Mahoney looked fairly terrible, you know, in, in his couple starts until he, you know, suddenly blew up against Pitt showed that this team could progress and learn and, and develop on the fly. You know, the, the adjustments they were able to make in, in various games midway through, like, Babers hasn't shown an ability to change, and I'm willing to give him a shot to change, and I don't understand why he's not being given that chance like every other coach has. Yeah, I mean, even within teams, like we, I think we pretty much had it confirmed to us this, this team that Mahoney is a different package than Dunch. Yeah, 100%. Like, they were running completely different stuff. So, like, this, this, this coaching staff is, like, prepared to make changes and develop new things and do different things on the fly, and as you said, we saw some of it last year. So, I am very much still taking the long view on this team and this coaching staff. Like we were, uh, very, uh, like we were very thought out through our, our thoughts on Schaefer. Like I don't think any of us were calling for Schaefer to be fired after year two. No. And there were much worse signs in year two. We were very much willing to let him, you know, bring in his second offense and, and see what, uh, you know, what he could do. And instead he just hired Lester full time. And that was a whole thing. Um, and it didn't work out, but like, I don't know why people. I, I get. I get it in terms of like this team has not been competitive in now, you know, four years. But I don't get why people are so much quicker to dismiss uh, Babers than they were even with Schaefer, who had pretty much shown midway through year three, hey, this is not working. This is done. Like we're not going to recover here. Versus Babers, where we are now having the first real blip of like worry here, and it's legitimate. It was a really bad game. 
we all admit we all acknowledge that we were all saying the same things on Twitter, but like you, it's almost like Babers is being um, blamed for the timeline that started with Schaefer. Like he's, I like, think he's being blamed for the Schaefer. timeline that started with Robinson. <laughs> uh, well, that too. Like people, people are also acting like the Dred Robinson years aren't still uh, something. Like those are the years that these kids were like children and were just learning what college football is and. None of them remember Syracuse being even decent, except for maybe a couple blips and a couple pinstripe bowls. So, um, yeah, it's it's still a process. Let's see it through. Uh, we will. We are constantly updating, you know, our our uh, responses to how everything is going. And like, obviously, we are Syracuse fans first before any other coach. So, like, we're going to, you know, want what's best for the program. I don't know why people are going or freaking out after game two of year two here. But those same people will say, oh, maybe we should have given Schaefer another year. Because there was no evidence that that was going to ever be a good idea. So, right. well, I don't know. I, people are over, you know, overreact to losses, and I get that. So it's, it probably shouldn't be too surprised about it, but it, it still is frustrating. And especially because, like, we are all sharing in the solo game frustration. But, like, you would hope people would calm down. It's not like we haven't been here before. Exactly. And, like, honestly, like, this type of shit is how people get cha- like how coaches want to leave. Like this is some of this crap is, is why Marone wanted to leave. And like, no, I don't have that from like a valid source necessarily. But like when you hear the murmurs about why Marone left and what he was sick and tired of, it's this crap. Like it's not to tell people like, oh, you're not allowed to complain, you're not allowed to talk, you're not allowed to whatever, unless you agree with me. Like that's not what this is about. This is about the fact that we're not really. I don't know how much better this program can do in its current financial state in terms of hiring than Dino Babers. So accept that as a fan base and then don't give him a blank slate and and let him just, you know, walk on water no matter what he does. But understand that if you don't give him the benefit of the doubt the way you gave every guy before him, then you're going to chase him out in the first middling Big Ten job that comes calling, he's going to go. And then it becomes infinitely harder to to bring another coach here because programs do get that reputation. You do not want to be the program that coaches uh, don't want to go to. And whether or not it's fair, like, like whether or not a firing is fair, coaches are always going to be more prone to trusting other coaches and to having those people's backs than they are the program that, you know, did right or wrong by them. So I think most people would get why Scott Schaefer was fired uh, from the outside with Dino Babers, like, if you, if, and I don't think there's any chance of this happening this year. I think Dino would probably lose out, and I don't think he would get fired. Yeah. Um, but, like, say Dino went 4-8 again, and Syracuse were to fire him, um, what the hell is another coach going to think? Like, oh, you want you want me to come in and, what, make a bowl right away with a, a roster I didn't build? Uh, in front of trans- 20,000 fans. Yeah, in front of, like, probably 18,000 fans. <laughs> so, yeah, let's let's see this through. Let's see what happens with Central Michigan. Um, who knows, like, what, what that team even is. Like, they just beat Kansas, but everyone beats Kansas. Um, it's just, like, I get the frustration, but, like, we can't just freak out. Because, like, what if we had freaked out when Marone lost that stupid Louisville game his first year? Like, if we wanted to fire coaches, like, Marone's team gave up a bowl chance because they lost 10-9 to at Louisville, a team that, like, I don't even know if they had positive yardage in that game. And, you know, here we are. So, or they got blown out by Pitt in year two, 45-14, and wound up uh, going to uh, the pinstripe bowl. So let, let's let's see what happens here for a couple weeks. And, 
you know, hopefully no one gets murdered at LSU. I would agree. Um, and with that, we're at uh, halftime. So, Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, let me see. I had uh, some Fat Tire last night, which I don't think I checked into, but it was, you know, it was Fat Tire, so it wasn't like anything too crazy. Uh, the only other thing, I had more Dales for Harvey Relief, because I was doing my due deal, my, uh, my duty as a Patriot, and uh, I had a couple different things from uh, Brooklyn um, uh, Mitz Pack, uh, including the Sriracha Ace, which is, again, still now in bottles, which is nice, and there were a couple others I have to check into. I did a poor job maintaining my untapped, but it was mostly Brooklyn, and then those couple other things. Not a, not a huge week. Fair enough. Yeah, I um... I've been trying to preserve my liver for New Orleans next week. So I've definitely been taking it easy. Um, had some little bit of pills from Smog City. Um, had the last of the Critical Band uh, New England IPA from Modern Times that I had. Picked up a six-pack of the uh, Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest, which is pretty good. Um, had a uh, Bishop's Barrel number 17 from St. Arnold. And then had from uh, Fulton Beer a uh, worthy adversary uh imperial russian stout nice uh coffee and chocolate notes on that one so said nothing crazy um probably won't be anything crazy this weekend either because uh i feel like for my own health and well-being and the the success of the week i do need to i do need to to, to keep things as light as possible so that when i get down to louisiana and eat terrible food and drink a lot that uh that i don't die yes good luck that is officially a night game now right it is officially a night game. It either be at seven or seven thirty Eastern. Uh, oh baby, I am. I'm very because you know what? I knew we were gonna lose. So my thing is like, if we're gonna lose, I want to lose like with the experience attached to it. Yeah, I mean, you're going down there for the experience of going to an LSU football game, and now an LSU night game, which is like one of the like hollowed uh, right. events of the college football landscape. So I'm I'm quite jealous, and hopefully everyone gets out alive and has a good time. Yeah, I, uh, I'm very much looking forward to it and chatting with the guys from uh, the LSU blog. They do a really great job with their tailgate and everything, so hoping to, to join up with them um, in the, uh, the many hours beforehand for some beers and which should be a lot of uh, roasted animals and, and, and many other assorted meats and, and, and other foods that I'm, again, very excited about. I feel like Syracuse doesn't... It's not that they're bad at tailgating, but SU definitely doesn't do as great of a job as, as, as places in the South. My experience in California also wasn't that great with regard to tailgating. Um, so being able to, to enjoy a real SEC tailgate will uh, definitely be a, a nice experience to be able to check off along with the LSU night game. Yeah, I imagine it's going to be just absolutely wild. And I'm sure the LSU fans will like kind of did a kick out of having you know Syracuse fans, of all people, uh, down there. So I'm sure they'll be pretty hospitable overall southern hospitality is real man I, when I, it, it, it truly is <laughs> i mean they might talk shit about you behind your back but but, but no definitely that too yeah but, but they are they are super nice to your face as we uh i think that's why not to go down this rabbit hole but i think that's why we we have had issues with some of our acc brethren because the way northeasterners deal with people they don't like is they just call them out to their face the way Southerners deal with people they don't like is they are nice to their, they're nice to their face and they talk about the behind their back. And that creates a little bit of conflict of culture that I feel like comes up, boils up here and there between us and maybe a little bit of Pitt and some BC with everybody else. Yeah, I, I, I buy that. There, it's just like a huge culture clash and you know some people take more exception to it than others. 
This is true. Um, all right. So next week, um, or this week, I guess whatever you want to call it, uh, facing Central Michigan. Central Michigan is 2-0. and uh, Rhode Island took them to three overtimes in game one. In game two, they ran all over um, Kansas in Lawrence. Um, they won by a couple scores. And I was getting worried, and I still am a little worried. However, Corey Willis is out for CMU, and it looks like their second or third leading receiver is also out. So a largely one-dimensional offense now has to do without its top receiving options, which to me... And again, after last week, I don't think anything's guaranteed, but I do feel better about our chances since our biggest weakness on the defensive end, at least, um, is the secondary, which now has at least a little bit easier of a time um, stopping the, the, this passing attack. Yeah, and also, like, while this team just beat Kansas on the road, again, Kansas, Kansas sucks. <laughs> Kansas is so bad. And I honestly, like, thought they might get better this year where they would, like, handle their business in the non-conference. Nope. Um the year before that, they, uh, I mean, the week before that, sorry, uh, Central Michigan uh, went to, was taken to three overtimes by Rhode Island. So not exactly the, you know, cleanest 2-0 and start for anyone. I mean, I'll take it, though, at the same time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, we've been there. 3-0, um, <laughs> 24 years. But I, I'm, I'm not super confident that Central Michigan is, like, some, you know, secret barnstormer here. Um, they were picked, to, again, to finish, like, in the like nine or ten range of the conference preseason, uh, they're hanging around the nineties of the S and P. Um, they, I'm looking at their 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 bot stores right now. Like they're not putting up hugely efficient attacks. Uh, so that said, Shane Morris is very good. Yes, Shane Morris is quite good. He did play at Michigan, um, but I'm 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 not I'm less worried about this game than I was about MTSU, and even the MTSU game doesn't like change what I feel about this game, I don't think. I think they're, they're different things. Yeah, I, I think there's also, like, just like there was a revenge factor for MTSU last week, even if it was just based on Scott Schaefer being his, like, himself, and we're not even talking about the cigar, because that's a whole nother nonsensical conversation that I decided not to write an article about, just because I didn't think I'd be able to like, keep myself in check, but um, the revenge factor here is Eric Dungey. Um, for those who may have forgotten, um, the first time we saw how, uh, how kind of easily crumbleable, I guess, <laughs> Eric Dungey is, uh, was in this game two years ago um, when uh, Mitch Stanizek, who has kind of shifted between linebacker and defensive end for CMU, um, had a viciously dirty hit, probably one of like the nastiest, like filthiest hits I've ever seen on like a a, a defenseless player. Um, you know, the Mac decided not to punish him. I still think part of that was because of the Toledo game from a few years before then. Um, but I digress. Uh, Stanizek is now like a reserve. So you're not really going to see much of him, but. Dungey knows what happened that game. I think there's a lot of other players on this team that know what happened in that game because a lot of those guys were, were freshmen at the time. I feel like there's going to be some a decent amount of, of, of retribution that, that Dungey in particular is, is looking for. And obviously, like we hope it doesn't mean he's going to take unnecessary risks again, but um, I do think that he's going to be playing with a fire that maybe he just, for some reason, him and a lot of other guys in the team just weren't this past week. 
Yeah, I mean, we saw what, what MTSU did uh, with a, you know, reason to get amped up. Um, so, I mean, if Dungy's ever going to have one against a match school, it's, it's definitely against Central Michigan, for sure, uh, based on that hit and how that whole game played out. Um, really kind of changed, it, it kind of set the tone for, like, the weirdness that it has been uh, Dungy's career. Um, that was, like, the first game where he really took a huge hit. And it was still the worst one, and now we have all these concerns every time he, like, looks like he might run. Uh, and it started there. So um, hopefully he does channel it in terms of, like, his uh, his play, but not his, uh, you know, Demeanor. recklessness. Yeah. We, we don't need him going out to try to run for 200 yards and, and taking, you know, headshots every time he breaks contained. So, um, but if he wants to go over 400 yards and, you know, not take any shots and, uh, you know, win back half the fan base, that'd be good, too. I'd take that. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that seem to be calling for, like, a blowout here to, like, redeem the team and, like, get everybody back into it. To me, if you beat this—if if you cover the spread, I think you've done, you've done more than your job in this game. And, and that's even taking the injuries into account and everything else. I think CMU is still a good program despite the fact that they lost some talent um, from last year, including, you know, longtime quarterback Cooper Rush. But, like— I, I just, and again, I'm not like bagging on the fan base some more, but it's just, I see all these opinions already, like, of like, oh, we better win by 20, or else, like, or else what? Like, like or else, or else you're going to stop going to games? You already stopped going to games. Like, like, if we win by 10 or we win by 20, we still won the game. And like, again, CMU is one of the better established MAC programs. Like, this team's a work in progress. They don't have an offensive line. There's a lot of other issues, but. Um, they have enough pieces to be able to, you know, pull something together and should be able to pull something get together against the chips. So uh, to me, I'm just hoping for a win. And, and anything that happens on top of that is is gravy in my book. Yeah, I think at this point, you know, we just need to pick up wins. Like that is by far the most important thing. Style points are nice. And, you know, inevitably, if this team starts clicking, you will get them because there will be programs that are just not equipped to deal with our, our tempo. Um, I don't know that such a mission would be one of them, and they do have some interesting players. Uh, Shane Morris definitely headlines them. He was a Big 12 quarterback or Big 10 quarterback at one point, uh, not a hugely successful one, but he's having a nice start to the year with you know eight yards and attempts, six touchdowns, one pick, good numbers so far. Um, yeah, so I think uh, I mean I, I agree with everything you said. Like if we win by 10 points, if we cover the spread, you know, win by 12 or something, I, I'd be thrilled with that. I after last week, uh, I think we can kind of cross out like, oh, let's beat every non-conference team by 28 points. Like, that's not realistic yet. We need to, to ease our way there. That said, you see that stupid, um, what was it, McMurphy tweeted it today about that Syracuse and Pitt are the only teams in the last, like, 27 years. And, like, of course, oh, like, you know, myself and you and Sean and anybody else who has any sense you know, laughed about it. And like, so like, you know, I wonder, I wonder what would cause this. And then I had some fans telling me that, that, that the national exposure was, was still the most important thing, despite 15 years of, of contrary evidence. Yes. Uh, fans, neutral fans talked glowingly of our somewhat close loss to USC at MetLife in 2012. They just bring it up all the time. Oh man. Remember that time that Syracuse lost to Clemson by 10? That was, that was a blast. How about when Mahoney, you know, didn't almost beat LSU, but almost kept it close against LSU, like where ESPN cut to the game a couple times in the middle, say, oh, what's happened at the Dome? 
uh, yeah, people talk about that. You know, you, they will talk about that for years to come. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's nothing more valuable to a recruit than seeing Syracuse get their ass kicked against Washington on national television. Multiple times. Christ. <laughs> or even the big wins, the Missouri win. I mean, I think which wasn't every, even intentional. Like yes, which I think every every child uh, between the ages of uh, fifteen and nineteen uh, remembers when it was on like ESPNU probably. Yeah, like that, that game in particular was was. ESPNU was a throwaway. Missouri was not that good that, that year. And on top of that... Sheldon Richardson was suspended. He was, which is the only reason he won. Um, but the, the, the fact that, like, that game wasn't scheduled as part of Doc Gross's, like, big brand plans. Like, that was because... West know, Virginia screwed us over. That, that was because we got screwed over from a scheduling standpoint. And we had to schedule somebody else. And even then, like... None of those games, I don't think, have had great long-term repercussions for our program. Like, we've oh. just got losses. And maybe we, we allegedly got paid a lot of money for some of them. We still don't know how much or have any real details beyond that. But we're going to take people's word for it, sure. Um, but that was it. <laughs> like, mm. So, yeah. The, and, and, and as fans, we didn't get paid for those teams. Like, the team did, which is nice. And I hope they continue to get paid for teams. Um but I, I don't think we were like sticking cash in the pockets of uh, you know Leaf Raker Y uh, down up in Cicero, who uh, you know hasn't gone to the dome since 2008, but will complain every time uh, the attendance is bad. <laughs> Got a feeling Dr. Gross took home quite a bit of that money. You might have sneaky suspicion. Um, before we move on from the Central Michigan game for good, um, one more note: Central Michigan is the 110th ranked pass defense in the country right now, which is. To me, a positive. I like that. I like to hear that, the things like that. Um, I, I, that's better than the alternative. Yeah, that's much better than the alternative. And to be honest, since we can segue out shortly, um, if we want to schedule Baylor now, I think we can go ahead and do that. Can we get them, like, in two weeks? Like, right now? <laughs> can we swap them for LSU and, like... Oh, I don't want to go back to Waco. There's, there's nothing to do there. You can go to the... I'm sorry, John. <laughs> I just think, I'm just trying to do what's best for the program here. I mean, if LSU wants to, to face somebody else... If LSU wants to face somebody else, I'll still go to that game. Yeah, you can still just go to the LSU game. They can play... We can probably get Liberty involved here. Like, they can... Oh, they God. can probably... They'll probably do whatever Baylor wants. Um, I am now looking at Central Michigan's advanced profile. Uh, havoc rate, very low. Oh, well, that's good. DB havoc rate, quite high. I'm not as worried about that. Yeah, I'm, um, I, I, I'm not going to get too worried about that part of it. I am going to, especially because I feel like Havoc rate for a DB doesn't necessarily impact the line of scrimmage much, and that's where we're going to complete like 75% of our passes. No, where, what is the, I forget, I, I used to calculate this myself, but I forget what the DB portion of it is. I thought it was just like ball disruption like in the air. or Yeah, I think that might be it, pass breakup. Yeah. Um, so I don't think when I was calculating it, I don't think he, uh, Bill was breaking it down by position like this. Right. Yeah. So, like to me, like if they're not going to create much havoc at the line, then Dungey, like if you give Dungey time to throw, he's gonna he's gonna throw through three hundred yards and change. If you don't give him time to throw, then then we got some wild cards in there. Yeah, I, I feel pretty good about this one. Obviously, last week is concerning, but I still, you know, I think we should handle our business here. If not, then uh, I'm not looking forward to, to next week's podcast. Ew. <laughs> All right. Then before we. You know, move on to just some general college football jokes and garbage. Um, what's your prediction here? 
Uh, I'm going to take Syracuse to bounce back. I'm going to go with a 31 to little 31 to 19, kind of a weird store win at the dome. All right. Um, I'm going to go with. I'm feeling 38 to 24. Okay. I think that's. I, I buy that too. Yeah. I, I mean, would take any of that. Maybe it happens. Hopefully it happens. But nonetheless, I, I, I am crossing my fingers for a win. We could really use one. A um, couple things before we leave. Uh, first, we'll, we'll get to, you know. Some, some laughing at, at, at a team, and then we'll move on to a team that, that almost pulled off a nice win. Um, Baylor, as mentioned, uh, 0-2. They are garbage. Um, I like Matt Rule, but I think he might be in over his head down there because I don't... Baylor's not done dealing with what's going to happen to them from an NCAA standpoint. Yeah, I think he knew... I don't know if he knew that he was going to lose two really, really winnable games early on. I do think he probably knew this was a long-term project because of all the departures they had and the possibility of coming NCAA stuff, which, you know, who knows. But like the short the term. He... The short term is the troubling part now. Yeah. The thing is, he is such he was given such a, a nice deal to take that job. I think they're going to stick with him for as long as he needs in all likelihood, and he deserves that because he's been a very good coach. Rule, I, I just think that there was probably a huge transition from what they were used to with Bryles in terms of on-the-field stuff. Um, I haven't watched Baylor play yet this year, so I don't really know what their offensive looks like or, you know, basically what, what what's going on with them at all. I've just, like, looked at box stores. But, um, yeah, I, I think there was clearly uh, an adjustment here that was probably bigger than anyone could have foreseen because losing to Liberty and UTSA is just brutal. That being said, as much as I like Matt Rule as a coach, and I, I don't think he really deserves any ill will for even taking the job. Like, I think you kind of have to do what you have to do. Baylor deserves um, all the ill will. Bill Baylor, I'm totally fine with Baylor losing. Like, I feel bad for Matt, but, like, sorry, man. Like, you, you got yourself into this, too. I'm not going to begrudge you for taking it, but I'm not going to root for you because you did it. So Yeah, you could have enjoyed yeah. Temple and just been everybody's, like, favorite G5 coach. And... He could have been, you know, Willie Taggart, like, a year later. Could have been. He's dead and paid, so good for him. Yep. Uh, another team that's not Syracuse we're going to talk about, uh, Tulane. The uh, the angry way of themselves. They almost upset Navy. And I don't know if that says that Tulane is on their way on the upswing or if Navy's on their way down. Um, Tulane actually outrushed Navy. This game must have been unwatchable. Uh, Tulane had 205 yards on the ground and Navy only had 194. That is pretty surprising. We were saying before the show here, like that must have been a wild game to watch considering the double triple option uh, battle there. Um, I don't even know. I mean, I guess we get, we get like, do we even get that many like Navy Georgia tech games? I don't think we do. Like how often do we get a matchup like this? Not, I mean, army and Navy army Navy. Uh, yeah. Okay. That was the, obvious and I guess answer. the air force games. We get we get every year with army Navy air force runs, not the same thing, yeah. but like they have a, a kind of more of a spread, a, more of a true spread option attack. Um, so yeah, we get, we get this game every single year. Uh, very famously, Outside of Army Navy, I don't think we get something like this that much because there's only what like five or six programs that really run this kind of system. Yeah, and I mean it, it's interesting for Tulane to take this up. I think Tulane, you know, the the comparison between Tulane and Syracuse shouldn't be discounted from from the standpoint of like 
limited resources and like you're a private school and you're kind of between a rock and a hard place like Tulane is the advantage of being in a talent hotbed um, but they're also dwarfed by you know LSU and a lot of other programs in the region like Tulane's taking an interesting tact toward being successful this might work it I mean based on the early results here in year two um, it seems like it's quicker to it's quicker to being on its way to working than maybe people thought um, if Tulane can can, uh, can be competitive in, in the American Athletic Conference West, I, I'd say that's pretty good. I mean, there's a lot of great programs there. You got Tulsa, uh, Houston, and Navy um, in particular. SMU is rising. Like that's a great and Memphis. Sorry, like that, that's a really if, if Tulane is if Tulane is good enough to make a bowl, then you're looking at a really really stout one through six in that division. Um, and, and, and maybe that's what stops Tulane from really rising, you know, further than six and six, seven and five. But at the same time, like, I, I think that this is some nice progress for, for Tulane, um, early on, but you know, moral victories, you can only, you know, take those so far. So we'll see if they turn them into actual victories, but, uh, I wish I'd been able to spend more time with this one, um, over the weekend. I would have definitely liked to see, uh, like to see Tulane in action with the, uh, the angry wave and all. Yeah, um, definitely interesting. I, I, I do wonder what Tulane's long-term prospects are because it, it's interesting that they are like one of the very few Louisiana schools right there, um, right in New Orleans, which is such a hotbed. Um, obviously, ULM and ULL are both there too uh, in the general area. But that like Louisiana is pretty unpicked overall, especially like when you get sub-LSU level. Um, obviously, like schools like Ole Miss will go in there, and, and I think Memphis goes down there a decent amount. But there's so much talent in that area and only one true powerhouse in the state. Like you would think that Tulane would have access to um, some interesting players, which then you could get into like a Georgia Tech type conundrum. Although I, I don't think um, it's quite as dire considering they are an AAC school and they're trying to make themselves stand out. But um, I, I overall, like I, I channel a lot of other people where I, I kind of hope that even if it's not my favorite brand of football, like I like seeing different looks i don't want to see every school uh take up like the art briles offense even if ours did um i i mean part of the reason i love college football is because there are such a, a distinct set of styles uh, across the the landscape so the more you know getting a couple more triple option teams i think would be pretty cool overall for the sport and and i do hope Tulane succeeds with it agreed agreed and not just for for our usual reasons with Tulane. um Dan, anything else you wanted to cover here, uh, whether that's Syracuse or otherwise, before we hop off? Um, nothing specifically. I hope everyone enjoyed the weekend overall last week. Uh, I mean, college football, aside from Syracuse, is awesome. Like, Evening what a, what a, slate. Washington State. Yeah, my friend, uh, my like good friend from, from Syracuse, Kevin Brown, was calling that game. Uh, one of his first big assignments, which he got because of uh, some storm-related issues in Florida. Um, and man, he got a he had a good one. Like that was pretty crazy. Yeah, I wrote a, I wrote about Wazoo went up this morning actually over the comeback. I was talking about Tyler Holinsky, the uh, sophomore who came in for Luke Falk. Definitely, well, while he didn't like you know completely toss over the apple cart, I think you're starting to see the inklings of maybe a quarterback controversy for Mike Leach. So I think we see what uh what what Falk can do against. Uh, Oregon State this weekend and if for some reason you know he has a rough first half I think you might see Holinsky jump in which is ironic considering Falk just broke the uh, Wazoo um, passing record for a career yardage like 
in the first half last week before he was benched for maybe injury reasons and maybe not. It's interesting to see like more and more of coaches like willing to jump off of senior quarterbacks who are well established. Like obviously that's an issue in Ohio State now with a lot of people, notably like and strangely recruits for some reason, uh, <laughs> saying that they should get away from JT Barrett. Which, There's like, no way that 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 like Meyer didn't like send that to them to send out. Yeah, it's it's strange. Um, but I, I think there's like a weird thing too, like being more free to bench a senior quarterback because they're gone after a couple more games versus like if it's a junior or a sophomore, it's harder. Um, but at the same time, it's like it's it's bizarre to see this pop up in like a, a couple of different places. Wazoo is obviously not like the biggest program, but Falk's been very good there, and they've you know he's been instrumental in their like resurgence here. Um, so to see that's pretty weird, but at the same time, like. I guess I trust Mike Leach with quarterback-related things. Yeah, I, I think if there there's a coach that I would uh, would trust with, with matters of, of passers, I, I feel like he's he's one of the the few on the short list. Yeah, he, he's he's uh, he's touched a few of them. Indeed, indeed. All right, um, I think we're good. Uh, we both think Syracuse is going to win. Hopefully, we're proven right. Um, if not, we're still going to have the podcast next week. I'm not going to be happy about it, and neither is anyone listening. Yeah, uh, hopefully it's a little more uh, uplifting than this one. Yeah. Anyway, um, cool. Well, Dan, thanks as always. Much obliged. Yes, thank you for having me. And uh, let's, uh, let's let's pick a win. I don't want to do the whole like having to reexamine our our you know fan base type thing again. Let's 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 save that for one more for next year. Same here. Um, yeah, so that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, on whatever other service you use. And go Orange. Please get a win, and don't piss everybody off. Go Orange. Here today, gone. Today? The pace of change can be confusing. Then again, it can be inspiring. Every year, Harvard Business School Executive Education helps executives like you build the self-confidence and decision-making skills it takes to thrive on change. Fight change with change. Go. Start by going to hbs.me slash go. That's hbs.me slash go. With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com.